0: Hello, I'm Patty Murphy, your host on this episode of the Leadership Under Fire, Humanizing the Narrative podcast. The interview you'll hear in this episode is a bit of a departure from the conversations we typically share, but is an extraordinary story steeped in adversity and resilience. Our guest and his family are currently navigating an international battle with their son, a U.S. Navy lieutenant, locked in the center of it. Ridge Alconis is a 34-year-old service warfare officer who has been serving time in a Japanese prison for what Japanese courts deemed to be the negligent driving deaths of two Japanese citizens, which occurred with Ridge's wife, Brittany, and children in the car at the time. Ridge's father, retired Los Angeles County Fire Chief Derek Alconis, has been pleading with the Biden administration to help bring his son home claiming that Ridge did not receive a full medical examination after the accident or a fair trial in Japanese court. Additionally, the Alconises assert that the Status of Forces Agreement, or SOFA, between the Japanese and American governments has been breached or violated. Listeners of this podcast may already be familiar with Derek Alconis, He currently serves as a research program manager for UL's Fire Safety Research Institute, or FSRI. Prior to joining FSRI, Alconis served 31 years with the Los Angeles County Fire Department, most recently as assistant fire chief in charge of the Air and Wildland Fire Division. He's been a passionate and active member of the American Fire Service throughout his career, as well as a proud American patriot. During our recorded discussion, we were also joined by Ridge's Naval Academy classmate, Andrew Eubanks, one of Ridge's closest friends and advocate during this ordeal, to paint a more personal picture of Ridge from one of his peers. Derek, Andrew, welcome.
1: Thanks, Patty. Happy to be here. Yeah, thank you, Patty. Great to be with you today.
0: Chief, I'm going to start by speaking with you. Before we dive into the current crisis your family is enduring, I want to explore the early years of your career and your family life. So, when did you join the fire service, and why?
2: Yeah, um, I joined the fire service in 1990. Um, Just prior to that, I was a high school teacher, and I also worked for a paint company. I actually worked for REI. I worked for Catalina Express. I did a lot of odd jobs to. Uh, to make things work, and uh, and I always felt a, a desire to find a profession to where I can help others. Teaching definitely satisfied that, but I wanted something physical, and so I feel like our paths crossed. Um, I was considering uh, profession change, and and a friend of mine crossed my path and said, "Hey, I'm going to go pick up an application, and uh, why don't you come with me?" And so I did. And we picked up that application for Los Angeles County Fire Department. And we talked about the profession as we drove there. And we talked about it when we were driving home. I remember his father, who was a LA City firefighter, um, really admired him. And I said, no, nah, I think this is what I'm going to do someday. I'm going to be a firefighter. <laughs> and, and I was, I don't know, 24 at the time. So I ended up getting on when I was 26.
0: So you didn't have anybody in your family who had this background in firefighting. You are the one starting out as a firefighter in your family.
2: Yeah, I was the only one. My father father's machinist. Uh, my mother worked as a, a teacher's aide for LA Unified School District. I was the first member of my family to go to college and, and graduate. So, you know, I was cutting a new path and this is something that you know, a lot of good role models. I but I, I just think about the, the community and what that does for uh, a child, you know, and uh, just good, hardworking parents also with an outstanding work ethic and always doing things themselves. And, and then people around the community uh, that I can see were doing different types of work, like firefighting. And it appealed to, you know, young eyes. Eventually, I, I remember as a kid, and then as I became an adult, um, and you start exploring what you want to do, you realize that, you know, I got to do something that matches kind of my personality. And when you're to spend that amount of time doing something, you want to do something that is worthwhile, meaningful,
0: mm-hmm.
2: and fun. I was an athlete all through high school, through college. It looked like they were you know, like a team member, like you're a part of a team when you're on a, a fire engine or a fire truck. I'm like, man, I think I could do that. You know, that looks like me. So I told my wife, hey, I, th- I think I'm going to pursue this. So I started reading books and about it and visiting stations and, and more and more. I just wanted to do it really bad. And uh, fortunately it worked out.
0: I'm grateful that you unpacked that because it will help speak volumes, I think, when you answer the next question, which is you and your wife have five children together. What was home life like during their upbringing? And really, what were the values you were instilling in your children?
2: Well, we are a church-going, service-oriented family. It just gets me choked up just talking about it because I feel like those early days were filled with good quality, time, you know, filled with a lot of good people supporting us. But just for an example, you know, every morning we would pray together. Uh, We would eat together. We would help prepare the meals together. We would clean up together. We would go to the park together. We would, you know, play basketball and baseball and um, go to the beach and just a lot of connectivity Um, with our family and with our extended family too we were very close to to my cousins and and uh, my aunts and uncles and this tight-knit family community unit was something our children grew up in and they trusted the adults around them and they were willing to to serve i mean they they had to do chores and everybody had to participate so it, it chokes me up because, you know, I realize that so many people don't have that in their homes uh, and their families, uh, and it breaks my heart because of that, so. Yeah,
1: and, and Patty, if I can chime in just a little bit there, too, you know, I've, I've known Ridge for a long time, and so he's always, you know, spoke very fondly of his childhood and, of, you know, of his parents. I know one of the things that he's always, you know, has spoken to me is that, you know, he felt like you know, Derek as, you know, a very active firefighter and very involved in the fire community. Um, you know, there were times when he was gone a lot, um, you know, on shifts or whatnot, but that he never felt like his dad was absent from his life. Mm -hmm. Um, he never felt like he was like not involved in the family or around when he needed to be like, you know, he might've been gone, um, for, you know, large lengths of time, but he was a very active father and, I know Ridge always talks about, you know, family activities, you know, like a lot of like sporting and outdoor activities together. That he speaks fondly of and and also not just his family, but like his friends and, you know, in the neighborhood and that he grew up with. You know, Ridge would always tell me his friends wanted to come over and hang out with Derek rather than him because uh, Derek was such a cool dad to <laughs> dad to have at home. So
0: I love that. You know, I mentioned that you have five children, but specifically, what was Ridge like growing up? Was he someone who always was infatuated with the military and wanted to serve?
2: No, you know, he's, he was always one that, uh, that kind of protected the underdog. I think the, he was looking out for people. He just had that natural tendency to, to kind of look for people that were struggling and, and he always wanted to be there to help. And I can remember, he also had this, this like sense of of where danger lied. And I can remember him running back home from the park. Um, we told him he was old enough to go to the park by himself, but he came running back home. And he's and he told us, like Susie and I, like, something wasn't right. And like, there, there was older kids there and I didn't feel comfortable. So I came home. And he was always one that he just wanted to be outside all the time, right? I and mean, you could not keep this kid, like, even playing video games, he would just get, like, frustrated and have to go someplace. So he did have this, like, he thought about things in front of him. He, he understood his world, right? he, even as a young child. He looked at the landscape and evaluated it and sized it up and, and made decisions, and even uh, we were we were driving one time. I was teaching him how to drive. Actually, he came he came to work one night. Susie dropped him off, and uh, we were going to go surfing the next morning. So he was at work with me at the fire station. And so he was fifteen or so. So we get up and and we're we jump on the freeway, and I and I was telling him, okay, when you're on the freeway, don't get behind a truck that has a bunch of stuff, and it looks like it's tied down, and you have to trust how it was tied down, don't trust that that person knows how to tie knots because you never know what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. And he's like, yeah, yeah, that makes sense, Dad. And like seconds later, a washing machine drops off of the mm-hmm. back of the truck and we had moved, right? I told him, go to the next lane. He had his driver's permit. And uh, today he even says, because I, 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 I totally remember that. I mean, I, I remember like recognizing that my dad saw that that could be a problem. He told me that I have told people that I've driven with. I told my friends and, you know, I think he, he's just one of these guys that, um, that recognizes and 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 looks at the world. He loves nature. He loves um, to, uh, to be part of it. And he was involved in music as a, as a child um, all through. We had this uh, one family, um, who just they had six kids, and their mm-hmm. youngest kid was the same age as Ridge. They learned to play the guitar together, car together, and then and then the, the mother was involved in our church music program, and then she got involved with the high school program, and she says, Ridge, you should be involved. And oh, uh, I don't know if I have the time, but he ended up doing it. And now, as he as he even sits where he's at right now, he says, Learning how to read music is it like saves my soul because I could I could read the music and I could read the words and I can hear the music in my head um, and where other prisoners can't and you can't sing they don't want you they, you, you can't talk um, in, in where he's at mm-hmm. and so he could but he can he can hear it in his mind and like those you know he and then he took the time to, to learn other instruments, um, as he got older, just to to learn uh, more about music, so he's got a wide variety of, of interests. As Andrew knows, I mean, he's he'll get into anything. Fly fishing, oh okay, that's great. Let me try it out. Oh, then he's totally into fly fishing, right? He learns everything about it. And kayaking, that that type of thing, you know. He's he knows all about a surfboard and and like he's telling me what I need to buy. And so just a kind of a multi talented interested guy
0: and like you said earlier very discerning i don't Mm -hmm. know how you feel about lieutenant colonel dave grossman but you're bringing to mind the sheepdog mindset to me
1: seems Mm -hmm. like that Mm -hmm.
0: would describe ridge Mm -hmm. andrew what can you share about your friend ridge you know can you describe how your friendship evolved and maybe paint a picture of his character
1: yeah so uh ridge and i we first met at the naval academy um together and then, um, kind of part of our our faith that we belong to, we both left the Naval Academy at the same time to be missionaries together in Japan for two years um, as just you know civilian volunteers, and so that's where I really got to know Ridge and where we really started to to develop a stronger friendship. Uh, and then we subsequently returned from Japan um, and returned to the Naval Academy uh, for our last two years and. Um, just grew closer and closer uh, during that time, um, and since then, after we graduated, we each got married within a few weeks of each other. Our two oldest children are were born within weeks of each other, not planned. You know, we've had a continued friendship. Our families have grown closer. Our wives, our children, um, through you know, being able to see each other whenever we could. Some combined family vacations and events, and so. I, I've known Ridge and uh, considered one of my closest friends and just uh, I've got to know his family too. But I know for me, I think, uh, you know, Ridge does have a lot of different interests, but uh, I, I feel like he has always just been really just caring about other people. Like he is concerned about, you know, other people, very sensitive. And I, I'd say empathetic to like how he can help people um, and try and whatever he can do. And even in like a small way to just serve and uplift others. He's very interested in, in how he can do that throughout his time as, as a military officer, though, I've always really admired him just because of his passion um, for what he did and what he was doing for, for the last 10 years as a, as a surface warfare officer um, as a Naval officer. And just always talking about, you know, the sailors that he was leading um, you know, the struggles that they had, what he was doing to help them, how how he was leading his divisions or, Or departments. And I always admire him because uh, his first four years, he returned to Japan Uh, right after he was married. um, He was stationed on the USS Fitzgerald, a destroyer out of Yokosuka, Japan. Um, Spent a lot of time at sea. I think he spent probably two to two and a half years total out of that four year time at sea. You know, a very like trying time, especially for a newlywed and then having a new child, but never complained. Always just talking about like what he was doing to like better himself. I remember, you know, one of the big missions that he did was was patrolling the Sea of Japan between Japan and, and the Korean Peninsula. Um, during that time, that was when the tensions between Korea and the U.S. were pretty high. When Kim Jong Un was first starting to shoot off a lot of missiles and a lot of uh, kind of nuclear activity there, and so he spent a lot of time, as far as his mission said, on the mission of the destroyer he was on, patrolling that area, kind of like as a buffer between Korea and Japan, and so. I remember he'd be like, you know, when I'm out at sea, he's like reading anything he can about North Korea. Uh, You know, he's trying to study like anything he can about, you know, how they operate, how they live, how they, you know, make and launder money. I mean, all kinds of things that, you know, like doesn't necessarily pertain to like being at sea, but, you know, just a very well-rounded, very concerned naval officer, you know, truly like an officer and a gentleman trying to be the best possible like ambassador for his country that he could be. Mm hmm. This
0: is all very valuable background. Is there anything else you want to share before we move forward?
2: When when Ridge was at sea, it was interesting. We would read books together selected from the CNO's reading list. And so he told me, go on the CNO's reading list, then you choose one, and then I'll choose one, and then we'd read together. And then when he has communication capabilities on the boat, he would, him and I would, Exchange thoughts about the books we would read. And It was a lot of fun, right? And I always look forward to that email when he had connectivity, he can respond to my question, and then we would go back and forth. And a lot of it was was about leadership, and, and he was young. I mean, he was he was learning how to to be how to do his job, and also how to lead these these young men and young women. Tremendous responsibility that a surface warfare officer officer has and uh and he was taking it very seriously and, and so so were we as a family you know we we knew that he was engaged in something very big and we wanted to support him and Brittany in that effort and so we were communicating both on a professional level at least for me books that we would read together and then also try to give support as much as possible to to britney as she was in a foreign country that she'd never been before and she doesn't speak the language and. You know that, like Andrew said, that there's uh, there's some challenges there that they 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 had to endure as well. So
0: I'm happy you brought that up because when I was doing research for this interview, I happened to watch a talk that you gave in 2016 on personal accountability, and <laughs> you actually talked about that book club that you had. And oh, I, yeah. I I thought that whole presentation was wonderful, and you know yeah. I learned a lot from it. So still yeah. timeless. <laughs> <laughs> so I gave a brief outline of what your son, Ridge, and your family are going through in the intro. Now, can you explain what happened on May 29th, 2021, the day of the fatal accident?
2: You know, we were awakened by a phone call that night um, from Brittany in a panic, briefly telling us what had happened, which was you know, they were coming down Mount Fuji and she said Ridge fell unconscious, not sure what happened but it's, there's people that are injured and we weren't driving for very long. And we're trying to figure it out. And basically the details of that was they had always want, some of the children had expressed interest in going to Mount Fuji. And before Ridge was going to be deployed three or four days later, he promised his family that he would take him there. That morning was like, most saturday mornings if he has off they're going to spend time with their family and he had made a, a special event out of this where they were going to go take the 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 family and the family dog up to mount fuji hike around a little bit as high as they could and then get back in the car and drive down and have lunch and then come home and so they they went up to a certain point of mount fuji they walked around hiked around took some pictures got back in the car As they're driving down the car, he's talking with his daughter and fell unconscious. The car was going less than 26 miles an hour, I believe, and it drove off the side of the road. He was slumped over the wheel, as far as we know, and he veered off and hit a parked car, which pushed another car into another vehicle where there was a family getting into that car those are the people that were affected by the the incident nobody died at the incident but later on two of them did one later on in the day and then one 11 days later ridge was alerted to what happened was awakened by um, his wife at the incident she saw things that were going on she actually had closed her eyes she was feeling motion sickness at the time So she had no idea that he was veered off. And uh, so obviously she was alerted to that. Shook Ridge had a difficult time getting them to to be aware of what was happening. They were finally able to make sense of things. He ended up going to uh, the police station to answer questions, which he believed that it was just going to be a series of questions. Not knowing really the severity of the patients at the time, other than what they saw, which was everybody was alive, and okay.
0: Can I pause really quick and ask? Yeah. You mentioned Brittany was experiencing motion sickness. You're saying from the accident, from the impact.
2: No, no, but before, yeah, she, when they were coming down the hill, she wasn't feeling well, and so he we said, "Well, just kind of close your eyes and 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 just kind of lean back, and you know we're going to be there shortly. Should be fine." And so at the, at the moment of the accident, she, she was in that state. Okay. So then he, he was taken to the police station. He thought was, there was just going to be questioning, right? Ultimately that they would either take him to the hospital or do something to find out what happened. Well, that never happened. Uh, he was arrested. He was not provided <laughs> with the, oh, go ahead.
0: Was he placed under arrest at the police station or at the accident?
2: At the police station. He was taken to the police station by the police officers, but like formally arrested, I guess, at the police station.
0: And Brittany and the kids stayed behind? Correct.
2: Unaware of what was going on. They thought he was coming back to the scene and okay. that they would get somebody there from the Navy. And, you know, there's a certain process that goes on. And they were going through that process. She was making the phone calls to alert the Navy base of what happened so they can dispatch people to assist. And this is as per protocol. Okay. Um, So they're anticipating Ridge to be brought back to scene and then connect with the Navy people and then probably take it from there. Well, that never happened. Well, there was a a JAG officer that, that did arrive at the police station who did provide Ridge with a form that basically says that you've got Miranda rights, but they really don't apply here. It's a different set of rules.
0: And JAG Uh, stands for?
2: That's the judge advocate general. Thank you. The attorneys within the military. Okay. So Ridge was provided this form by this individual. And then from there, he was in custody by the Japanese police and then ultimately one day turned into two days, turned into three days. He had, he, he wasn't sure when he was going to get out. He was allowed to communicate on a limited basis um, to Brittany, unaware of what was going to happen next. I think she wasn't able to get there until the next day or maybe the following day, and he did not have access to an attorney. Um, so all the things that we think of in America, like How your rights would be protected and how you could defend yourself, at least, just didn't exist in the first 26 days of confinement. That's what he ended up doing. Without access to an attorney, he was able to speak to his wife on occasion and also um, able to speak to uh, spiritual advisors who would visit from his church, but everything was monitored. So he did have he had no legal advisor during that 26 days. And he may have had somebody that came by and said, you know, you you're in their custody. Once you're in police custody, you, 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 there's nothing much we can do. We can't stand in with you as you're being questioned or, you know, or, you know, disputing any kind of investigative techniques or any of that. So that time that he spent in confinement initially was was spent answering questions from the Japanese prosecutors and interrogators.
1: Yeah, and, and go ahead. Yeah, I can I can kind of chime in there too, Derek. And so originally. Part of Japan's Constitution and our status of forces agreement there, which governs the the rights that American service members and dependents have um, while stationed there in country. Uh, One of the things that's in both of those, those legal documents is you're not supposed to be held without adequate cause or necessity. Cause and necessity would be whether you're a flight risk or you're suspected of being able to destroy evidence. Um, And so when Ridge was in there, he's like, well, I'm not a flight risk, I'm in the United States Navy, like I I can't go anywhere without their permission. And they're saying I'm, they're on tap for producing me at any kind of like legal proceeding. So I'm not a flight risk. And there's no evidence to destroy like I, I, there's no evidence for me to go home and, you know, throw away or anything like that. So I'm going to get out of here soon. But then that didn't happen. And so in Japan, they can actually hold you um, in custody for 23 days before actually charging you with a crime. So Ridge was put into solitary confinement and he ended up spending 26 days before he was finally indicted and then released on bail. But during that time, they can question you, interrogate you for up to eight hours a day throughout every day for during every you know Monday through Friday, eight hours a day, they can interrogate you. So, you know, they're interrogating him throughout this time. Uh, without a lawyer present without a translator present because it looks like you had a question on that
0: i do because you're saying he had a medical episode at any point in this first 26 days was he given a medical assessment
1: no um so when he first got there because you know I'm not going to defend Americans in general because there, there have been service members that have done, you know, heinous crimes in Japan and, and you know, around the world when they've been stationed there and, and there have been issues with, you know, drunken driving DUIs and, and, and whatnot. So when Ridge, this was, this occurred in the middle of the day with his family, you know, and I think Ridge was originally thinking like, Oh, they were going to try and say I'm like drinking and driving or something. And so, um Ridge, you know admittedly he was like hey give me a breathalyzer take a blood test like anything and they're like no 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 they wouldn't give him a breathalyzer they wouldn't give him a blood test you know he thought he you know you would think if someone was in a fatal car accident that um i know like for Derek and his fire and paramedic background like first thing you do is like you want someone to get checked out if something if someone just blacked out you want to like you know what happened like that's the first question like you want to? Is, is there some neurological issue with their their heart attack? You know, a seizure? Like what happened? You think it would warrant a like an evaluation at the very least? But no, Ridge was never about never had any access to any, a doctor or any medical attention for twenty six days. And you believe during that time
0: he experienced altitude sickness.
1: So uh, afterwards, when he was released after the twenty six days, um, he went through a number. of of uh, tests, medical tests with a naval um, doctor, um, his primary care physician, and then also with a Navy neurologist. And through all those tests and from both those doctors, um, they gave him a clinical diagnosis of acute mountain sickness um, with a syncope or a fainting episode as the most likely cause uh, for the accident for his losing consciousness. Now, is there any way we could ever possibly know like what really caused the loss of consciousness 26 days after the episode? No, I mean, absolutely not. I think most medical experts would agree on that. Um, the neurologists, based on what they had studied and, you know, what they, um, the events of the day, they ate this as the most likely, this syncope episode with acute mountain sickness as the most likely reason. So we can't say with, you know, 100% this is what happened. Um, what we do know is that. You know, when someone dozes off and hits multiple vehicles and they're not awake after several minutes, that that's not someone that falls asleep behind the wheel. Um, That's what we do know. What caused it? I mean, I don't think we will ever absolutely know with complete certainty.
0: Okay, thank you. I wanted to make sure we paused and and reflected on that. Chief, did you have something to add?
2: Andrew mentioned it, but I just want to reemphasize that throughout the interrogations, Ridge kept telling them, take me to a doctor. I don't know what happened. This is the, pro- I don't know. And they, they, they refused to provide any kind of medical attention. Not only, you know, a, a blood test or a, some sort of physical evaluation, but I, I mean, I'm talking like a full scale evaluation to ensure that, is he okay? Did something happen? Was it heart related? Was it neurologically related? We don't know. Um, and he didn't know, he was scared. And, and when you think about when he left like, so, so he hadn't been involved with the police, law enforcement, the legal system, anywhere in his life, right? Probably like most of us. After the accident, he gets, gets out of the car, finally and tries to make sense of things. And there was even people saying that he had a hard time, spe- he wasn't speaking coherent Japanese. Which is really unusual for this was reported in the Japanese newspaper, which is really unusual for Ridge because his Japanese is, is pretty darn good. Mm-hmm. So he was having problems just communicating. Something was going on. But again, he was denied that medical evaluation, that treatment, which is just not right. And I, I was thinking about like the feeling that he had as he as he told Britney, I'm gonna go answer these questions. And she and I talked to her that day. She said, he should be back. She, he left, but he should be back. And when he comes back, I'll let him talk to you. So I was hoping that they would go do something. Then he would be back later that day or that it, maybe the next day. And I to. but one day, two day, three day, 26 days. And think about, you know, where he stood with that. He had no idea what was going on, that they were, they were attempting to put him in prison um, from the start. And sleeping under lights not allowing you to put anything over your face he said there was there was no sleep the constant questioning over this accident but yet they won't provide him with what he's requesting which is please i want to see a doctor
0: what were your initial thoughts or feelings when you found out about the accident i could imagine that there's so much distance between you and your son that you and your wife are now concerned and obviously feeling a little helpless.
2: Yeah. I mean, that, that is, you know, I, I know there's people in the world that have received just tragic news and it, it's horrible anytime. And we're part of that community. And, uh, it, it, it it's indescribable, uh, the, the feelings that you have and, the answers you're trying to get. And, and, and now you have a, you have a language barrier to get, uh, you have a cultural barrier, you have uh, political issues at play, you have the military that has a certain interest in, in, in Japan, and that region, and and, and what they're trying to maintain, you, you had a time issue, like the Japanese are, you know, 14 hours you know, be ahead of us. we we've, and then we're trying to get in touch with people in uh, three hours away in Washington D.C. And uh, you know, you, you, there is no sleep, and just the the physical and emotional, psychological, intellectual exhaustion. We, my wife and I, often we just embrace and say, "Wow, we're still standing." It's, it's, it's by prayers and love and you know people just have really come to our aid andrew's probably the biggest one there's no doubt so tough you know we we feel for others who receive these this type of news and and have to endure um we have a lot of empathy for them and and so does britney and so does ridge i mean it He's worried about other people, even while he was, you know, in even while he's in prison. Even he was going through this. He's he's reaching out to other people that are having problems. It's like, man, he's got one of the biggest problems in front of you, dude. And, but yet he's 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 still trying to find ways to to help others. Yeah, it's tough.
0: I'm sure I'm, you're painting a very vivid picture of how chaotic and stressful it was at that time and continues to be. But at what point did you start to realize this is going to be an ongoing legal battle? And how did you go about getting support?
2: Well, Angie would probably answer this differently. I I was the eternal optimist, like, it's going to work out. Everything is going to be okay. This was an accident. We can make this right. And, you know, why would anybody put somebody that was in this situation like Ridge in prison. It just, I can't see it happening. And so I was i was very optimistic that thinking in my mind that I, I can see a, uh, a connection with this family that has suffered so much in Japan and an opportunity for an American family and a, and a Japanese family to bond like forever while we're on this planet and and find how we can serve one another and and even improve the relationship which which ridge has been driven to to, to serving in Japan and and so it, it, I thought this this is the opportunity this is going to bring us even tighter and we can mourn together but we can also heal together and and it doesn't need the judicial system to do that that didn't happen i was so far off and ridge will You know, even when I would say those type of things to make it better for myself and make it better for Susie, my wife, and our kids and my mom and the grandparents and all this, it didn't go that way. It was opposite of what I
1: hoped for.
0: Andrew, what do you have to add about that?
1: Well, I think one interesting thing is that Ridge and I, we both, you know, were civilian missionaries in japan for two years like you know two years straight in japan learning the language the culture uh, we both have a very strong love for japan the people there there, you know the wonderful things about their culture and despite all these wonderful things we had no idea how different their legal system was from ours and so you know the first couple of days were just uh a lot of confusion of like you know what happened you know, why is he in jail? You know, surely this is going to, he's going to be out soon. Like there's, it was an accident. And so the first thing that was immediately apparent was that, you know, Brittany needed a lot of help because she, you know, she's there, foreign country, her husband's in jail, uh, foreign justice system. She still has three kids to take care of. Um, So the first thing that I did was, hey, Brittany, I'll be the buffer between you and like these hundreds of people that family and friends that are reaching out. Um, so I kind of became the spokesman, representative, kind of gatekeeper to Brittany originally um, and started sending out kind of a newsletter updates to friends and family. So that, that list has grown to almost 450 people now that still send out regularly. But um, that was the first thing we did just to let people know what happened um, and, you know, hey, please pray and for Ridge and the situation for this Japanese family um, that was one of our biggest concerns was, you know, that these people died in this accident. We wanted the, the family to, to heal and be comforted and be helped however we could. Um, and that was one of the things that Ridge and the very limited communication we had with Ridge while he was in that, that initial um, custody was his, th- his thoughts were like, I want to take care of the family, you know, whatever we can do to like help this, this family. And so that was what we were originally were doing. And kind of as like the days turned into to weeks, it started to become pretty apparent that uh, this was not going the way that we hoped or, or the way that it should. So Derek, yeah, very optimistic. Um, I have to say I was not as optimistic um, as time went on. This could be a long haul problem.
0: How did the trial and the sentencing play out?
2: So in Japanese custom, there's a process known as gomenosai, which I'll let Andrew kind of describe that in more detail. But basically, we understood it as it's an opportunity for the person who created the problem, in this case, Ridge, to extend sorrow and remorse in the way of a a gift to the the people that are injured, in this case, uh, the surviving members. Of the family, and so Ridge is crushed. His life's work, his professional life's work, has has been this Japan-U.S. relationship and defending that Indo-Pacific region where Japan is, and, and being very skilled and knowledgeable of. It. And now he he has created a situation for a family, and and I I would say that he was definitely more. I mean, he was so concerned about them and how to help them, what they will receive from him with this gomenesai, But it didn't, nothing worked. There was too much pain on that side. I don't know what they were, you know, beyond that, I assume that there was a lot of pain. It was difficult for them to to receive anything from from Ridge or any of us who had written letter express our sorrow for them and the gift just it it didn't happen until uh, and so so then the trial went forward. And it was difficult. And uh, Brittany was there, but we couldn't be there because it was during COVID. And there was big time restrictions in Japan. In fact, it was difficult for us to get to Japan uh, to be there to offer support. And we had to get our senator to, to help us secure a visa, uh, emergency visa to to get in there. And and this time, I mean, we were we were cycling paperwork through anybody that would read it in uh, the U.S. politics. You know, from our local politicians to senators and to the president of the United States. I mean, we were doing all that we could to contact anybody. We finally get there, and the trial goes on. And Brittany was there um, and Ridge was there, but we could not attend because only so many people were allowed in the courtroom. And there was there were some challenges with understanding the, the courtroom interpreter, uh, how Ridge was portrayed in this as a, as a criminal and how it was very clear that it was going to be very difficult to defend himself. It, many people have said, well, why didn't she just bring out all the evidence that the doctor? Had? So it, it was there. It was available, but also the prosecution has uh, uh, the ability to accept whatever evidence that is submitted by the defense. And In Japan, it's different too. You you have to take responsibility for things like this. A vehicle accident is always somebody's fault. Something happened, that, that accident happened because somebody did something wrong, even though it was an accident. And so taking responsibility is a big thing and Rich definitely took responsibility, but at the same time, you know, he wanted to, for the courts to understand that this wasn't intentional, this was not anything that he did that was uh, that created a negligent situation. This was an unfortunate medical event that he was unaware of, but nonetheless, it wasn't going well in the courtroom. And then several weeks later was the sentencing. And uh, so when they got out of the courtroom, and he took the witness stand and he answered questions, and it, basically a, a demonstration of how remorseful he is, and and, uh, and and what happened at the incident as well. But uh, it's really, expressions of, of
1: of how he felt. Um, yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, and and one thing. Uh, so the trial was very short. It was just a um, a short um, half day trial. There wasn't a lot of evidence or witnesses or anything like that um one thing to to know is that japan has a 99% conviction rate and it's very uh, once you're charged it is very difficult to to prove your innocence so the the advice and the counsel that he was receiving from his japanese attorney as well as from government uh, attorneys was in japan with this conviction rate and the way their system works you plead guilty if you defend yourself, it'll be viewed as not being remorseful or sympathetic towards the victims and, and they will inflict a, a harsher sentence. Um, and so one of the things, that, so like, even though they have this harsh, um, conviction, um, kind of process, they also tend to have a much lesser prison sentences that compared to the U S for co- the same crimes. And so what he was being told was, Hey, you, if you, um, you know, if you, Try to say this was an accident, or that there was a medical emergency. Like you're going to go to jail. Like if you don't want to go to jail, if you want to stay with your family, you need to plead guilty, accept responsibility. You know, pay this this cultural uh, restitution known as gomenesai and then you know you'll receive a suspended sentence. You know, if people do these things properly and re- express remorse and follow the cultural customs, like you will not go to prison. So that's why Ridge trusted, and I, I think. You know, and that kind of made sense a little bit, I think, to you know Derek and Susie Ridge's parents of why they you know had this optimistic attitude, um, but just things just didn't feel right in the the whole way. I would say it just didn't feel like it was going the right direction, and so you know the trial happened, and then uh, in August and then October was the sentencing, and he received a three year prison sentence, which he appealed, and then um, that was in October. The appeal uh, finally took place quite a a few months afterwards so the the sentence was in october they appealed in october and then um, that went to a higher court in tokyo um, and took place in uh june uh so there was another like half day or i would say i think it was only lasted about an hour actually there was an appeal hearing and then in july they met again and the the judges dismissed the appeal and reinforced the the three year prison sentence
0: it's a lot to digest, and I have I want to suss out a few things. So, this gift that was offered to the victims' families was over a million dollars, correct?
1: Correct. This- yeah, that was, it, The exchange rate at the time that it was paid it came out to be approximately one point six five million U.S. dollars. Um, eight hundred thousand or so, seven eight hundred thousand was came from insurance, car insurance. Um, and then the rest, uh, came from Ridge, his savings, uh, and then family and friends. So while Ridge was, uh, incarcerated, the initially right after the accident, we knew that like, Hey, you know, this cultural payment is a thing. We did a private fundraiser amongst family and friends and raised, uh, just over $570,000 in a few week period that was donated for this. Um, and then, uh, Derek and Susie, and some of other other family family members uh, did some uh, additional loans and and donations to, you know, get to where it needed to be to pay this this amount fully. So um, in Japan, the the criminal and the civil side of things uh, kind of mesh together. Um, the civil can um, have a lot of influence over the criminal proceedings. And so we were told that the most important piece of evidence in the trial would be, whether you had agreed to and paid this cultural payment. Um, So that was what we were focused on. Um, One Ridge really wanted it to happen because he felt like, you know, these people, this family just lost two family members and really deserved whatever we could give them. They deserve it to help them for this loss. Um, That was one in the two was he was just terrified of being taken away from his family and didn't want to go to prison. And this was what he was told he needed to do. And so that's what we did.
0: And it was not accepted.
1: The money was accepted. The kind of remorseful apologies was not accepted. Um, so the the money was accepted. The The settlement was uncontested. Ridge did not try to negotiate or anything, but it was understood that it was very high. Um, in fact, it was the highest um, private settlement by a, uh, an American service member in Japanese history. The magnitude of the amount was so high that the actual the family prevented it from being mentioned in court. But it, the money was paid and, and was received by the the family.
2: Yeah, and to clarify that a little further is that I guess there were the indications that things were going uh, a little odd was Ridge's attorney would say. He would say to Ridge, well how much can you give in the gominiocide and Ridge says well I'll, I'll give whatever it takes, whatever they need, whatever is required. I, I'm not negotiating and is so Ridge would say, well is you know with fifty thousand dollars oh that's that's a lot that's too much that's yeah that that that'll be sufficient. That'll be received very well and no problem. And then initially that wasn't received. And he said, okay, is it a hundred thousand? What do they want? Just tell, have them tell me what they want and I will give it. And this back and forth and, until the the family finally said, well, this is what we want. That was uh, disclosed, it was about four days before the sentencing era, where now we knew how much they demanded and the money had to show up in their account before the sentencing hearing, which Ridge's share was there the day he found out the money was transferred into that family trust, but the insurance payment was slow, which which may have complicated things, that sent, or may not, we don't, we don't know. I mean, it's hard to yeah. say. Yeah.
0: So a member of the U.S. military, a Navy lieutenant is going through this, this trial, what kind of support or guidance was coming from the Navy?
2: Well, I'll start and then I'll let Andrew finish. That was our question, Patty. Was is he really just left out there on his own? And and I would ask this, and I'm sure they're gonna they're gonna watch this, and because the, they've been watching our every move and every post, right? And and we have been critical of what was not done at the time of the accident to ensure Ridge's rights were protected and SOFA, the status of forces agreement, was followed. We know that that didn't happen, that Ridge's rights weren't protected and SOFA wasn't followed by the Japanese. That right there should be enough to engage the military leaders from whatever rank to say this has gone on too long, too far, and you you, you have breached the agreement, and this is where we take our person. That never happened. And, and we were also told that, you know, don't believe that whatever, that the Navy's best interest is in Ridge Alconus. The Navy has its own best interest, which is preserving the relationship with Japan. And I, I think I see that clearly now. Unfortunately, that a Navy, Army, Marine, enlisted officer, contractor, I don't care who you are. If, if, if you're in a foreign country that has a status of forces agreement, then we have to be assured that that is followed by that host country. And that if it's not, then there is some sort of consequence and that we can act um, to ensure that we protect the rights of that individual. And, And that's what keeps us fighting. And when Ridge went to prison, he said, lead me in there until you fix that part of it. Because Let's not have another person have to go through this. And that's why we fight. We fight for to bring Ridge home, but we also fight for all of those men and women who are serving mostly in Japan, but all of those that are under a status of forces agreement in other foreign countries, that the people who are responsible for that agreement and for executing that, that they're ensuring that the rights of, the Americans that we have in these countries is protected. And and also the interest of America and world peace and all of that is protected as well. Andrew, Andrew's Andrew's more of an expert in this field. I just get all fired up.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I would say like throughout the whole ordeal, you know, as we've talked to people, you know, one of the, the common questions, you know, originally was, you know, before he was in prison was, you know, people would be like, "Oh, like, well, what's the Navy going to do? Like, the Navy's going to like do something, right? Like, this is their guy; they're going to take care of him." You know, I I won't speak for the Navy. I I can just say that Ridge is in prison. Um, you know, there's a a lot of um, service members stationed, you know, around the world. There's over a hundred thousand U.S. service members independent stationed in Japan, more than any other country in the world, other than the United States. And so, I, I know. When you join the military or the fire department or the sheriff's department or any um, kind of public service or national security organization, you know, you might have to give up your life. Um, you know that you're putting, you're volunteering, raising your hand to defend others and that, you know, there might be conflict that causes you to be, you know, wounded or or killed. But I think it's safe to say that people do not volunteer to have their, their rights removed um, or to be violated or uh, to be taken away. And I think that's what one of Ridge's biggest concerns is that he doesn't want all these you know, thousands of people, Americans that are you know, defending not just US interests, but the interest of our allies and partners around the world. Like he, he believes that there needs to be you know, some kind of process in place to preserve fairness and justice for those people. When people do something wrong, you know, they absolutely need to, you know, be investigated and tried and prosecuted and sentenced uh, accordingly. But there needs to be, you know, due process and there needs to be the preservation of constitutional rights for those people.
0: One thing I want to clarify, you mentioned it earlier, Andrew, but I want to make sure that we're all on the same page. Ridge is serving a three year sentence and his appeal was denied. So, what are his options going forward? And currently, what are the conditions like in a Japanese prison?
1: Yeah, I, I'll go ahead. I'll, I'll go first, Derek. I think. Well, one of the the, the first um, thing I'll say, like his conditions in the prison is um, he spends a lot of time in in solitary confinement, just in a cell by himself. Monday through Friday, he he goes. You know, he kind of has a routine, and Derek can get in that a little bit too. You know, he kind of wakes up. He kind of does some prayer and meditation and then he goes to work and he works in a kind of like the laundry area of the prison. Um, he works and then there's a lunch break and a exercise break and then back to work and then back to his cell. And then on the weekends, you're in holidays, you're in your, you don't leave your cell at all. There's actually, you know, one of the concerns right now talking with his wife, Brittany is right now it's, it's pretty cold in Japan right now. They're, they just got blanketed with snow. Um, so it's, it's pretty, it's pretty cold and there's no heat in the prison. So the area that he spends about eight hours working each day, there's no heating. He has a very small space heater like in his in his cell. But I I would say I would venture to say that's probably not adequate to provide like adequate warmth. You know, he says in his letters that it's just like there's like it's just like a place that sucks the the, you know, happiness out of you because they're not allowed to talk to each other you know, during their exercise period is really the only time that they can really like communicate with each other, like with other prisoners, like any kind of camaraderie or, you know, just socialization. And so it's just, he's just really cut off socially. Um, He spends, you know, the evenings, you know, reading letters and books. Um, He reads a lot of books that we've sent him, um, but we're not allowed to send in care packages. Um, He has no phone privileges, no access to, you know, email or computer or anything like that. Um, he's allowed two 30-minute uh, visits with his family a month, and then he's only allowed to send seven letters a month. So uh, he can receive mail that is read and censored by the prison, um, but he's only allowed to send out seven letters a month. So we have very limited communication with him. One of the other th- unique things about his situation is under the status of forces agreement, people who go to prison in Japan that fall un- underneath that, they can only receive their um, what is called comfort items like hygiene clothes from the, the military. And so um, for a number of months he him and the other Americans in prison were not receiving hygiene items or the clothing that they needed or had been requesting. Um, and so luckily, Brittany um, was able to, in a very public way and also in a private way, meet with some the embassy and uh, that was magically resolved. Um, and so they are receiving some of their items now, which we're, we're happy with. But it's not it's not a country club. It's not a easy prison area to be in. And I think his mental health and just uh, is what we probably worry about the most um, as well. So as far as options, you know, for the longest time, everyone, the government, everyone was like, do not talk to the press, do not talk to the media, like keep this very private or it's not going to go well for you. And, um, and so I, you know, I think, you know, Ridge and Brittany out of, you know, fear of messing this up or hurting their chances at, you know, a suspended sentence, followed that they they didn't talk to the media, they didn't talk to the press. And after he was finally sentenced, after the appeal was thrown out and it was upheld, uh, that's when uh, the family finally started talking to the media and the press and trying to get this story out there to raise awareness of this situation. And that has led to a lot of other things working with Congress on a number of issues um, that has kind of opened the door to getting the help. Um, but it's just, unfortunately, it's just kind of a a day late dollar short as far as getting the help we needed to prevent this from becoming the situation that it is now.
0: Was there anything you wanted to add?
2: Yeah. The, um, you know, we as human beings, we're social animals and so we, we do feed off of each other, right? We, we see each other's expressions. Body language is a big, big way that we communicate. And um, he doesn't even have that because one, he's in a cell; he doesn't see anybody. Two, when they're out of the cell, they have a face mask on all the time, still, and so they don't see each other's faces very often. And, and Ridge has has mentioned in his letters that you know he's concerned about the other status of forces prisoners there and there's 10 others there's 11 total and uh their their lack of educational and vocational programs that are available to them and that how he wants to help them in some way so you know we're exploring and you know ways of doing that and for him like when this all happened i remember him saying Dad, you know, the, the most difficult part is is one, I can't communicate with this family, these people. So I, I can't heal. I can't help heal them. And I can't heal myself because I can't. It's hard. When something bad goes on, you you want to resolve it, right? We're not, not the kind of people that we're just going to sit in and let things fester. We're going to deal with it. We're going to address people's pain. So that's that's a a challenge. But also, he said, you know, before this happened, I could see the pain of others and I can and I can believe their pain. I I was the person at church that can help when somebody's suffering. Brittany and I would be able to to bring them a meal or or uh, or take care of their children or. Uh, pray with them or give them a ride somewhere um when i was at work i was i was looked at as the person who can solve problems and he said when this happened people just stopped communicating and part of the reason was they were concerned about his time and, and you know they, they were sensitive to that but but also like professionally they just like it just went away right he, well if you're a broken tool, then in some professions it's it's like you're useless and and that hurts. That is painful to any individual that is contributing to the good in society and, and now this horrible situation occurs and then their credibility to even be a servant is gone. And serving others is a uh, it's part of therapy. It's what makes human beings whole and feel good about themselves. I believe in that. That's our Christian ethos, at least in our, in, in our family. But when you don't have that ability, you, you start to die from the inside because you, you, you lack the ability to reach out and help and connect with other people and And that's what concerns me most most as he's in there. And I can read it in his letters. It's like you need to find how you can help other people when you need help too. And when you're spending most of your time in a prison cell, that's hard to do.
0: I appreciate you sharing so much about his core values. And I think everybody listening to this podcast can identify with that way of being what about his past experiences do you think have helped contribute to helping him get through all of this this difficult yeah. time his upbringing his training his network mm-hmm. his spirituality all of it
2: yeah yeah i i i think he's he's you know like all of us we've had hard times in our life and we we've, we've got to push through and he's had similar experiences with his life and I think the training that he's received at the uh, the U.S. Naval Academy was tremendous. I mean, he did uh, they, those midshipmen do really hard things, and uh, and it's demanding, you know, for someone to sign up for that and then to sign up for a very difficult career is just so admirable. All the men and women who do that is incredible. Um, what servants to uh, to U.S. U.S. citizens. So that that has helped kind of fortify him and make him resilient. But, you know, leaving the Naval Academy and going serving a mission in Japan and um, giving up his appointment to the U.S. Naval Academy and then having to reapply to get in, that's scary, too. When it's something that you really wanted in your youth and now you're saying, no, I'm going to go do something else and hopefully I'll get back in. If you don't get back in, you may have to change courses. Right. And that's not easy. Uh, So, you know. I think that as an, another way that he was fortified and, and the experiences that he had with, with Andrew and the other missionaries out there and they're teaching English and they're teaching people about Christianity and, and learning about their religion as well and, and appreciating their belief system and, and, and honoring their culture. Um, all of that, uh, uh, you know, really strengthened him um, being away for two years and having limited access to us as parents and his siblings and everything, you know, what a tremendous growing experience, you know, the faithful leaders that were around him too uh, in Japan, I, I can't overstate them. I mean, he's, he was, he's still friends with the adult leaders that were organ that organized that mission. It was great. His, his faith leaders, his friends, families. And I, I think he he's associated with the right people. I mean, we tell our kids find good friends, you know, the people that that support you and and that you can share common ideals and and you can grow together. He has that in and Andrew, and, uh, and and his wife, and they're they're connected. That was that is important. Reading good books, you know, uplifting yourself, furthering yourself in, in different ways. That's so important because now. You know, he's having to, like he said, the music, he can see, he can hear the music in his head um, by reading the music. I mean, what a gift that was because otherwise he'd be just looking at words, but he can he can see it and sing along and, and feel it and think about singing these songs with other people. And, and that's important in reading some of the, the journals of, of other military um, leaders that have spent significant time in prison Stockdale's memoirs are outstanding. He talks about that, that, you know, he, his time at Stanford studying philosophy and then, and then being incarcerated for all those years at, uh, in uh, Hanoi Hilton and in, in other prisons in Vietnam were what kept him going. Um, the reflections on those thoughts and ideas and all that information is important uh, when you're in these environments. So uh, we believe, too, that, that prayers work, that there is divine intervention. Now, do we want him plucked out of the prison immediately and sent home? And he could be with his family and start his life and start contributing to society. We would love that. But it, it'll happen in time. It will work. But really, you know, the prayers of strength, of resilience, of knowing how to deal with this properly, knowing where to focus our attention to bring it to the right people that can make things happen. We pray for that too. And we, and and we continue to pray for the Japanese family to heal too. That I, I can't over, as you know, overstate that enough is that I still feel it's horrible. It's a, it's a there's a, there's a, just an empty part in my soul and all of us, like we can't connect with these people because we feel like we are connected in this odd, weird way on that day of May 29th. And why can't we, why we live this, why we live on this earth, why can't we just connect and uh, and heal together? And and hopefully that one day will come.
0: see all the emotion pouring out of you right now. How are you, your family, your friends, how are you handling this, supporting one another Drawing on your past experiences, do you mind sharing how you've maintained your resilience?
2: Yeah, I mean, there's been times where there's just, you know, a lot of tears. I mean, at times when I'm talking here, it happens, right? You just, you become a different person. You are more sensitive to these feelings of anguish and hopelessness. And then of like, I can't do that. I can't live in that space. I got to live in in the world that, that I see the beauty still, and I see hope and optimism. And so how do we do that? Well, in our faith, we are given assignments to serve other people. And uh, we feel like it's that is a way to heal ourselves, it is to lose yourself in the service of others. And uh, not that I'm very good at it, but I'm a practitioner. And we're trying and we do try to make ourselves available um, to help where we can. And, and other people are such great examples because they know when we're hurting and they call us and they come by and they bring food and they sit down and they talk to us and they hug us. And it's just it's not only the people in our faith group, but it's also, you know, my fire department friends my are our, our, our just good friends in the community, friends that I've had for my whole life from where I grew up in San Pedro, you know, they're, they're watching over us. They're, they're tracking things. They're calling us, making sure we're okay. You know, that, that just know that you're cared for and know that, that you have to be prepared to care for somebody else. You know, that's what gives us strength. And, and my wife and I talk about all the time, like, okay, you know, we got to live a little bit for today. Let's see the beauty and what God has provided with, uh, to us in this, in this wonderful world. Let's see the beauty in the nature. Let's see the beauty in human beings and in uh, the food and all the rest and just feel it. And it's work, it doesn't come easy. Nothing, you know, you have to put effort into being well. And, uh, and like I said, we're practitioners, we're not experts we're not at that journeyman level um but we're
1: keep trying we keep working on
0: Andrew did you have anything to contribute at this time
1: I would just say like you know like I I think you know like the this podcast humanizing the narrative I I just think that's really important you know Derek kind of talked about a little bit too is um as I mentioned I I spent two years in Japan um, as a missionary and then have returned a number of times. Um, And when this happened, uh, you know, I had a lot of conflicting emotions um, and feelings, you know, how I felt about Japan and, you know, I'm remembering, you know, all these wonderful things about the culture and all these wonderful people that I've met and, you know, still know there. And then, you know, trying to reconcile that with like this treatment of, you know, one of my closest friends who, I know is, you know, this wonderful, one of the best men I know, a honorable person, a man, a loving husband and father. And, you know, I went to, you know, some about shortly after, while Ridge was still in in prison the first time after the accident, um, I was traveling and I went to church and I was behind uh, this Japanese family. Like they were from Japan. They were in this city to study um, in graduate school, but they had, three or four kids but you know I'm sitting behind this family and I you know I'm starting to tear because I just see you know like this is like Oh, these are people like they're wonderful people like these aren't bad people you know Japan is not a bad country like it's you know this family that we've had this I don't know this conflict with we haven't been able to connect with and you know I I just remember you know they they're people too that they've had this loss that they're trying to process and deal with a and they've dealt with it you know differently than how I would hope but that they're people and um, kind of the same thing with, you know, like our government leaders and, and the military leaders It's like, I'm not happy with everyone, but I recognize that there are good people in the world that they, they do care. And, and even though people might not always be doing as much or, uh, as I would hope, I recognize that they're, they're, they're people that we, we all have flaws and we make mistakes and shortcomings. And, you know, just re- reminding that we're all humans and, You know, community is is important, but we we need to, you know, cut each other some slack sometimes and, you know, just try to remember that, you know, that healing can come when we can kind of forgive and, and move on from that.
0: So I want to dive into some of the things that you're exploring and the way that people might be able to support bringing Ridge home. Where does the Biden administration currently stand on this issue? Because you mentioned earlier, working with or going to visit Washington D.C.
1: Yeah, so we've been to the White House. We've met with the National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan, the you know Special Assistant to the President. Um, we've spoke with Vice President Harris, and uh, I, I, I feel that the Biden Harris administration is very uh, sympathetic to the situation and and supports you know bringing Ridge home and, and resolving this we get into like a very complicated international relations situation here. Um, You know, Japan is a very strong ally. Uh, The Pacific region countering China and North Korean aggression in the region is kind of like what our national security focus is on right now. Um, And so there's a lot of things at play that affect, you know, this situation that Ridge finds himself in. Um, And so unfortunately, it's not as easy as just, hey, bring them home. Uh, We are working through some things. We think there are some legal ways uh, for uh, Japan to cooperate with the United States government to do that. And uh, the Biden administration is, is working towards that. We're in regular contact with a lot of members of Congress, but also with the Ambassador Rahm Emanuel, the, the U.S. ambassador to Japan and Tokyo. And he's been a, a fantastic advocate that is is really working hard for this. So there are things going on, I think, for Derek, myself, um, as we've kind of explored this very, you know, high level government um, engagement process and interagency process and everything else it it just moves slowly it's you know the government unfortunately does not move quickly in very few instances and so the bureaucracy and everything else and not just ours but then Japan's there's just a lot of things that have to get looked at and reviewed and discussed and so it's just a slow process um you know it's never going to move as quickly as like we hope and wish it would um, but we think it is moving in the right direction, and, and that gives us some, you know, cautious hope.
0: Has the Navy's senior leadership shown any change in the support that they're currently giving versus what was provided at the start of all of this?
2: Well, um, let, let me answer that. Well, just I, I want to go back because I think the we were able to speak to some folks that had access to senior Navy leadership. So they were just below that, like just below the rank of admin, say, captain. And uh, and I do think that there was, you know, quite a bit of sympathy and expressions of support, concern, I, I guess expressions of concern. And they there was... A number of folks that that did all the way through um, very high levels of the Navy that that supported uh, Ridge's uh, pursuit of being paid uh, throughout this. Um, now that ultimately was denied at a, at the most senior level, but there was people in the chain of command through multiple stars of admirals that we heard they did lend their names to a a letter of support uh to ridge so that that that, that is good now in in terms of the most senior levels uh, and and what happened uh, to secure ridge's pay and and benefits for Brittany as he's going through this that actually required a an act of congress uh, you know, a phrase that we typically use kind of ingest like, oh, yeah, that's going to take an act of Congress. Well, it really did um, in this case, because with without Congress's intervention, Brittany would have been out of the country and here and Ridge would have been in Japan alone and unable to, to have visits. And so we're grateful. All of the senators voted yay to have his pay extended. And I think that House of Representatives did the same thing, so we're we're grateful for all of that support, and I, I just want to make sure that that is totally understood. We hope there is continued support for Ridge within the Navy, and they see his value. He he has specialized training that um, that not everybody has, and experiences and capabilities, and we would hope they would see that. So I'll let Andrew kind of explore that a little deeper, but those are my thoughts.
1: So one of our big concerns was that Brittany and uh, their children were going to be cut off from Ridge's pay and benefits. That would have forced Brittany to move back to the States. She wouldn't have been able to visit uh, Ridge um, and there's no phone privileges. So there would have been, you know, just letters, a few letters back and forth for communication. And so, and because of, uh, for us, we consider that there wasn't due process and with the, the violation of you know, rights and agree, international agreements that you know Ridge is wrongfully detained, which is a, a thing um, for Americans abroad who are you know denied you know rights or due process, they get designated as wrongfully detained, and we believe Ridge is. Fortunately, the, the Secretary of the of Defense denied uh, the request for continued pay and benefits, and that was going to expire on December 28th, so a few days after Christmas. Uh, which was not going to be a, a, a good situation for Brittany. Uh, fortunately, um, in December, right before the last Congress left, uh, they did add an amendment um, to uh, the spending bill that directed the Secretary of the Navy to continue paying benefits for the Alcona's family um, for, during his incarceration. So we're very grateful for that um, and grateful for Congress's support there. I think Brittany um, and the Alconas family in general would like to see the Senate and House Armed Services Committees, as well as the Senate Foreign Relations and the House Foreign Affairs Committees to be a little bit more involved um, and to exercise some of their congressional committee um, powers for oversight and investigation to kind of look into this a little bit more to help ensure that, one, that it's getting the attention that it needs, um, and two, to make sure that it doesn't happen again to innocent people.
0: Right. You had mentioned that that was um, something that Ridge expressed at the start of all of this. Mm -hmm. Who are some of the politicians who have been supportive?
1: For Derek and Susie in Southern California, their uh, congressman is Mike Levin. He's been very supportive. Uh, We have good regular communication with him and his staff. The Alconis family has a lot of relatives in Utah and Brittany uh, has family. Her mother lives in Utah as well. And so Senator Mike Lee from Utah has been kind of leading the efforts in the Senate. Um, And so we've had a number, there's been a number of letters that have been publicly released. There were, uh, last year, there were 20 uh, Republican senators um, on a letter from, that was led by Mike Lee that uh, sent to the Japanese government to address this. Uh, There were a number, a couple of other letters from Democratic senators that were sent. Then there were 32 congressmen and congresswomen from the Democrats and the Republicans that sent a letter to the president last year, last October, asking him to be more involved from the White House in this. Um, And then just uh, two weeks ago, 42 members of Congress from both parties and from the Senate and the House did a combined uh, bipartisan bicameral letter uh, to the Japanese prime minister asking him to expedite the transfer of of Ridge back to the United States. You know, Congress has been uh, very supportive. But I think until there's like a like, you know, until like a committee uh, that has purview over either foreign relations or armed services, really like digs their teeth into it. I don't know how much more Congress is able to do at this point, and, unless they are willing to uh, dedicate some more resources and time to, to looking into it.
0: You talked about your media strategy earlier, which I think is understandable the way you described it. And this case now, since you've been speaking out, has been garnering media attention, but nothing like some other high-profile cases, most recently involving a WNBA star. So, mm-hmm. what are media outlets and the American public missing in these cases?
1: Yeah, I think you'll. Well, one of the things with uh, with Brittany Griner and other wrongful detainees, we've connected with a lot of. The, we haven't connected with Brittany Griner's family, but we've connected with a lot of the other families of uh, wrongful detainees. There's a group called the Bring Our Families Home Campaign, uh, which is kind of like encompasses these families and supporting them and helping them through this process of gaining, reuniting their families who are incarcerated unlawfully as hostages or wrongful detainees in foreign countries or by foreign actors. Um, There's a couple other organizations, the Governor Bill Richardson Institute and the James Foley Foundation, which focus on uh, supporting wrongful detainees as well as uh, journalists. Um, who are wrongfully detained overseas? I think one thing that I think the, the the media has been very helpful. We've been in the Associated Press, the Washington Post, the Wall Street Journal, all three major um, cable news networks, Fox News, CNN, MSNBC, and you know a lot of other local and regionalized outlets as well. And I, I think one thing to know is that you know whenever Ridge's story has run. Um, it's always done well you know by the metrics that they measure you know you know whether that's clicks or views or whatnot it, it, the storys always performed well for them and so my message to you know media editors and producers is that this is a winning story the media plays like a really big role in our democracy and quite frankly without the media media's attention there's so many issues in America that would not be addressed period and that goes from you know big collective, um, issues to individual issues like, you know, Ridge Alconus. And so I think that's one of the special things about America is that we do believe in the value of an individual. We believe in the value of a single human being and like what it means to be an American and to have, you know, rights, freedoms, and liberties. And so my message to editors and producers is that, you know, let your people write and run these stories, you know, in prime time because they are winning stories. Americans are concerned and, you you know, one of the things is like so many Americans just don't even know that there's wrong hostages and wrongful detainees out there. You know, Brittany Griner got a lot of attention and, and that has actually helped our cause because it has brought attention to the overall community of wrongful detainees. And so my message, is it's a winning story. And, you know, as, you know, America and the world matures and become, you know, globalization and business and leisure travel increases, you know, it only continues and grows. You know, this is something that Americans... It could be any family, you know, any businessman that is traveling to Japan or China, um, anyone that's on vacation in any country, you know, this could be you like you could be in this situation pleading with your government to bring you home. And so. You know, I think it's important that Americans know last year the government signed an executive order um, saying this is like a national emergency. The State Department has also added further guidelines and like, you know, their travel um, guidelines. When you know, you know, like, hey, I'm going to travel here. You look on the State Department website. There's more guidelines about, hey, this country takes wrongfully detainees. Um, Their legal system does not provide adequate protection. So uh, I think there is some movement in there. And there's uh, we have developed some pretty good relationships with individual journalists. You know the people that you know cover the white house the state department the pentagon you know there's a lot of good people that are you know asking questions you know in press briefings and behind the scenes to like help ridge and other wrongfully detainees and quite frankly that you know these are some really good people that they want to help and they they are they hurt when they feel like they can't help it but they recognize that they do have a voice and some influence and I mean, the sad thing is, like, um, a lot of times our government doesn't act uh, very expeditiously or um, affirmatively unless there is media attention on it. And so um, that's just the truth, the reality of the the, the matter. And so they play, the media plays a huge role. So I, I would like to see there to be, you know, more coverage um, of these issues and these people, because quite frankly, without that coverage, like we're not going to be able to get them home. I will say like, as far as like what people can do specifically to help Ridge, you know, initially we started a petition on change.org. If you go Lieutenant Ridge Alconis or bring Ridge home on change.org, you'll see we've had about 85,000 signatures on that. But one thing you can do, you can follow us on our social media channels on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Just the handle is bring Ridge home. Um, So you can follow us there, anything you can do to help kind of raise the awareness and attention to Ridge's case, and we're posting updates to those channels. Um, The other thing that we have going on is there are some state-level resolutions that are being passed right now. So the state of Arkansas passed a resolution uh, from their government asking Congress and the National Security Council to review the U.S.-Japan status of forces agreement and to investigate Lieutenant Ridge Alconis' case. Um, specifically in the handling of it by our government that passed uh, last week. It'll get signed by uh, the governor of Arkansas tomorrow, and then it'll get sent to Congress in the white house probably on Friday. Um, there's a few other States that are adding on uh, to that as well. So there are uh, a handful of other States right now that are um, submitting similar resolutions to, you know, add their voice to calling this Congress's attention to this. Cause I, like I said, without congressional committee, Attention! It'll be hard to like do anything else. But um, one thing that, you know, that I've been pitching to, you know, people is that 100,000 Americans in Japan and more stationed overseas, there's someone from every state, you know, a son or a daughter that has volunteered for the military in every state stationed overseas somewhere and probably in Japan. And so, you know, every state, you know, has a, a vested interest in like protecting their citizens and people and calling our national government, our federal government to do the same. And So um, that's one thing that we do have going on. So, you know, people can definitely talk to their local representatives, you know, whoever your state legislatures are, you can talk to them and ask them to submit um, those resolutions. And then, of course, you can talk to your, your congressman or, or woman or your senator and let them know that, that you're concerned about this, you know, either by calling, emailing or writing them to let them know that, Hey, you care about the, the rights of our service members, uh, wherever they are. And then the last thing I'll add is just a plug in, um, Sunday, February 5th. Um, we're having a candlelight vigil in San Diego, um, to, you know, kind of meet together and pray for, you know, healing for, you know, the Alconis family and the Japanese family, Um, for healing in this relationship and and to find a compassionate um, resolution to this. Um, And so that's on Sunday, February 5th. It's going to be at Sunset, um, and it's going to be at the Japanese Friendship Bell in San Diego.
2: And I will say these events where we get together, whether it's a demonstration or just a get-together, we've done different types, but it's a way for people to connect in person with us as parents his friends his family ridge's siblings ridge's friends and there's healing that goes on there too you know i uh it, it's just good to see people in person and to be able to give them a hug and to say thank you and 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 and, and it helps them too the story is difficult uh, we've had people say you know i Every time I click on that, I'm like, "Oh no, I I don't want to read anything that's bad anymore." And sometimes we we have to reveal the facts to get the media's attention, right? And and it's difficult for people in their emotional state to take it. And uh, so we are, <laughs> although we're we know that uh, we 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 have to be insensitive to that because the goal is to get the media to engage, the net engages the uh, the politicos which move things. But these events help us connect on a more personal level and, and a casual level too. And we can just kind of share
1: each other's company and be together. Yeah. And, and Patty, if I can tell just one more quick story, in a couple of weeks in San Diego, we're going to do this candlelight vigil, but it'll that's not going to be a protest or a rally. It's going to be more you know, reflective moment of silence kind of event. But we have done a number of demonstrations, rallies, protests. We did nationwide protests on January 13th when Japanese delegation was in Washington, D.C. meeting with the president. So we were in uh, Lafayette Square right in front of the White House protesting for the government to, to do something to bring Ridge home. And people that are just like tourists or people just visiting that are walking past the white house or in Lafayette park. They literally were like walking over and like picking up signs and protesting with us. I mean, we're, people are showing up that, um, you know, we're, we posted on the social media, like, Hey, we're doing this protest here and we email it out and everything. And, um, literally some fire department friends from LA County that live in Tennessee. Now that, um, knew Derek, they drove up from Tennessee uh, mm-hmm. to do this protest with us that one day, you know, three, three retired firefighters came, which is awesome. Um, and like I said, we, we we're in Lafayette Square protesting and, you know, doing whatever we can. And, and people are just walking up to us asking, like, you know, who's Ridge? And, you know, we tell them and they just pick up a sign and start, you know, chanting, <laughs> bring Ridge home. Um, it's amazing. And so, you know, again, you know, people are interested and um, people want to help. And, and people in the media, like they're going to feel good when they are able to contribute. And we need to give them the chance to do that.
0: I'm going to timestamp this interview quickly. It's January 25th, 2023. And at this time we plan on publishing this interview on February 9th, 2023. And I hope that between that time you have some significant changes you can celebrate or milestones that are helpful to your cause and to Ridge. But ultimately I am so grateful that we took a departure from our normal conversations here on this podcast to do exactly what we set out to do, which is humanize the narrative. And in this case, you just said the question, who is Ridge? And I hope that today we painted a really in-depth picture of not just him, but everybody involved in this ordeal. So thank you so much for all of your time and your detail and being so generous with your knowledge and experience. Uh, Hopefully this will resolve eventually in a positive way.
1: Thank you, Patty. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you, Patty.
2: Really appreciate it. And thanks for everybody behind Leadership Under Fire for having us on.